If you have a Bible handy uh, for the sermon this morning, turn the, to the book of Philippians. Uh, you'll find that uh, if you're using the uh, black covered Bibles there in the chairs, it's page 980, 980. Uh, Philippians chapter 1. We're also going to read a portion of uh, the last part, actually, of chapter 2. So a couple of selections here out of the same book, the book of Philippians. You know, as you're turning there, uh, we're reminded, as the psalm writer says, he says that I have more understanding than all my teachers. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't need teachers. God gives us, in the body of Christ, teachers, those who would teach us the word. But, but in one sense, you see, we can rightly say that because the Spirit of God has been given to us, He's the one to be the ultimate teacher, to give us that understanding that will supersede what a mere man or in a, like a ladies' Bible study, a mere woman can impart to women or what have you. But the point being is that uh, by the Spirit and by the Word of God, uh, with faith, there's an understanding that goes beyond what a mere man can, uh, can, can conjure himself, or as we say, you know, bring and impart and, and teach. So our God is good to give us teachers. It's the Lord who ultimately teaches us and leads us uh, in the Word. Also, one other thing to mention in this passage, I'm going to be reading at the very, very top of chapter 1. We're going to come across these words that Paul is addressing the overseers and the deacons. Uh, that's in the ESV. That's in this particular translation. Now, you might have a translation that says uh, simply elder. It might also be a translation that says bishop. Um, we have, those are all the same word, the same original word. It can be an elder, a bishop, an overseer. Uh, there might even be a translation that is uh, an episkopoi. Now, that's the Greek part of the word. That's the Greek word, but uh, an episcopal. A uh, believer is one that believes is led, that church is led by bishops, uh, those who have special, that special office that way. But it's all the same word. So when I read here overseers, we should be thinking to ourselves elders, elders and deacons. Uh, that word is used interchangeably in different parts of the New Testament. Um, so this is the reading of God's word beginning here uh, at Philippians chapter 1. May we listen with faith and eager to receive it. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus." I'll stop there. Turn your eyes now down to chapter 2. Run your eyes down to chapter 2 at verse 19. And Paul picks up more language now about other servants that he is serving along beside even their own servant, the Philippians' own servant, a man named Epaphroditus. Chapter 2 at verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that you too may be cheered by news of you, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him 
who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am more, I'm the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord uh, with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Uh, this is the reading of God's word. Uh, let's pray. Father, visit us with your spirit now, and we pray for uh, the teaching of the Lord God in our midst. Uh, we pray especially, Father, that you would uh, take our eyes and open them to see uh, wonderful, glorious things here in the scriptures. Uh, may Jesus Christ uh, be at the center. We're here, Lord, uh, to grow in him and to be that much more effective in our service uh, unto Christ and his kingdom. Uh, we ask now your help and strength. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. It's the Lord Jesus himself who said that he came uh, not to seek the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ on another occasion said, I've come uh, not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom uh, for many. Another occasion he said, even as we prayed, he said to his disciples, come, follow me. Come and follow me, and I will make you uh, fishers of men. Uh, even on another occasion, Lord Jesus said, Matthew chapter 16, um, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I bring all these kinds of statements to us about the Lord Jesus Christ, because our Lord and Savior is our Savior who has purpose. Uh, he came all in view, self-consciously, about his mission to be appointed unto his Father to be Messiah, Lord, and Savior. And he's about serving others. He's going to indeed lay his life down uh, for the sins of many. And this is about his own purpose. Now, his, his story of his earthly life and his earthly ministry is a story in that bigger picture of God's glory. Because we know that the Father had sent him, even before the foundation of the world, that plan to send his Son into the world. And he's going to pray near the end of his life, Father, I've glorified you on earth. I have completed the work that you gave me to do. And he's going to continue to pray about his Father receiving glory and that indeed his Father would glorify him as well. So his earthly ministry is in that, in that bigger picture of the great glory of God. Uh, how about you in your own life? Do you see your day-to-day? -day? Do you see the cares and the burdens that you bear in your own life? Do you see 
uh, relationships, new relationships and opportunities that the Lord brings into your life? Do you see them in that bigger picture that God is about striking the band, as we would say, striking up the band that his glory is at stake? Your life is a part of something much larger, much bigger than you. My life is a part of something much larger than that itsy-bitsy, small life that indeed I would be about. His glory is at stake and he's spreading his glory. I heard a story about two men on a job. They were once asked, what are you doing? Two men on the same job site. And one said, I am using this hammer and this chisel. And the other one said, this design here that I'm working on will enhance this pillar that will set apart the entryway into the cathedral. <laughs> one had this simple answer. I'm using this hammer and chisel with a focus on a tool. The other man has a focus here upon this design of this artwork and craftsmanship on this pillar is going to enhance this entryway of this cathedral. And oftentimes we need to hear a story like that. Uh, we can be into the trench, right? Into the trenches, as we say, with a hammer and a chisel. <laughs> and we forget. Even here at Good Shepherd Church, where we're very active and very busy in these weeks, we are doing a design. We're working on craftsmanship. Our small part here in Fort Bend County is, is craftsmanship on a pillar that's going to enhance an entryway of a cathedral. That is the perspective that we sometimes indeed need to keep in mind. Well, one way that we keep such things in mind is that we're reminded here in this passage is that God deploys his people into service. God deploys his people into service. That's our theme here this morning in this text. The Apostle Paul uh, is going to mention four Bible characters in this letter. He's the author. Paul the Apostle is writing this letter. But he's going to mention Timothy and Epaphroditus, two men. We've read of those men. He's going to mention later in the story here in Philippians, the two women, Yodia and Syntyche. These names are mentioned to us in Philippians, and just like in other Bible books, like Paul's other letters, we get names like this, like these, such things, because these are Bible characters with real, true-to-life flesh and blood. God is building his church, gathering his people. The saints are being perfected. They have names, true-to-life histories, places where they lived, and appointments in which they were to serve. So let's make a couple of points here this morning from our lesson, this whole matter that God deploys us into service. First of all, God's, God supplies saints. God supplies saints, not super saints. And then secondly, there's a priority here. When God supplies those gifts, he wants the church to grow in her character. He wants the church to grow in her character. So he supplies saints, not super saints. Look at the opening verses of the whole letter as we've read. Paul and Timothy. Wow, what's missing here, Mark? There's nothing here about Paul the apostle. Paul an apostle. It's Paul and Timothy, plainly named next. Servants. <laughs> Servants of Christ Jesus. 
to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at, who are at Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons. They're plainly named servants. When God deploys his people into service, number one, they are not super saints. They are saints. We're getting at the ordinary. We're getting at the common. His workers are deployed. They are servants under the banner of Christ, under his lordship. And rightly so, they're servants of Christ. He's master. He's king. He's owner. He's Lord. The original word here means slave. Lord, I'm your servant. I'm here to do your bidding. Master, I'm here for duty. I'm here for appointment. I'm here for my assignment. I'm here for my tour. I'm here for the appointed task that you have. Remember the Lord Jesus Christ? It says, the Bible tells us that he chose 12, those whom he wanted. He chose 12, the 12 disciples, the apostles. He said to them, I chose you and appointed you to go and bear much fruit, to bear much fruit. Uh, one writer speaks of the 12 this way, the original 12 disciples. They did not occupy prominent places in the synagogue. Uh, they were not from noteworthy family stock, no academic degrees. They probably only received the rudimentary training fit for their own vocations. One might wonder how the Lord could ever use these men in his service. They were impulsive, temperamental, easily offended. These men represented a cross-section of the lot in society in their own day. Men appointed for the Lord's service. That's James Boyce, uh, the late James Boyce, who was pastoring up at 10th Presbyterian in Philadelphia. Uh, he, uh, he authored the book, Twelve Ordinary Men. <laughs> Once again, one reason why names are recorded for us. We're being reminded that the church is made up of servants, those set apart. Different ages, different life experience, different abilities. But what? One common shared objective to serve. That's our common objective, to serve. And where does that objective start? Uh, where does that objective continue? How does it continue? How does the Bible teach about this objective? that one common shared goal to serve Christ? Where does it all begin? How does it continue? It's because what he says in this passage next, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. That's where it begins. That's where it continues. Those simple words, to be in Christ. To be in Christ. Uh, the old uh, British pastor, uh, John R.W. Stott, he put it this way, being in Christ, the ones belonging to Christ, it means that they have spiritual power that physical weakness cannot destroy. Watch those words. There's spiritual power that physical weakness cannot destroy. It's the power of Christ. It means that they have hidden vitality that even the process of dying and death cannot quench. Why? Because it's Christ's life in the believer. Stott goes on to use some biblical expressions. The peace of Christ rules in their hearts. The power of Christ is made perfect in their weakness. The life of Christ is made manifest in their mortal flesh. And he summarizes. And in thinking about the most common description in the scriptures of a follower of Jesus, 
that most common description is that the person is in Christ. That man, that woman, he says, it's in Christ. And that expression in Christ, in the Lord, in him, is used 164 times in Paul's letters alone. What does this mean to be in Christ? It does not mean to be inside of Christ like tools are put into a toolbox or clothes are put into a closet. No, it means to be organically united, living, living in Jesus. Jesus living his life in the believer by his spirit. And Stott finishes, as a, uh, as a limb is in the body or a branch in the tree. It means that there is, a, is there, a, there is a personal relationship with Christ, and that's the distinctive mark of Jesus' authentic followers. Are you in Christ this morning? Is Jesus your Lord? Jesus your Savior? Is your life now hidden in Him? In the life you now live, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, Paul says, and gave himself for me. Is that where you are in Christ Jesus? You see, this is where the Christian life begins. This is where the Christian life continues. Are you drawing down on the Lord Jesus Christ? Lord Jesus, I need you here for these words. Lord Jesus, I need you here for this strength. Lord Jesus, I need you here for this meeting, this appointment this responsibility coming at me? The Apostle Paul had a one-track mind about this. He's going to say back in chapter 3 of this same letter that I may gain Christ, he's going to say, and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on, uh, that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Jesus is God's appointed, God's appointed head of the body. We live in Christ. We serve in Christ. And he's the one altogether righteous. And so our faith is in him. Our trust is in him, even in our day to day. Do you have a one-track mind? Is Christ yours? is the big picture of God's glory, that which you're drawing down from, you see. And that Jesus is your Lord and he is your life. He is your all in all. How do we, how do we have him? It's by faith. We trust in the Lord for who he is and what he's done for us. That's why Christ came into the world. And Jesus takes us. He takes us lacking experience. He takes us you know, in, our, in, in ways of foolishness. He takes us in our ways of weakness. And he uses us. Ordinary servants. Saints, not super saints. Now there's one other application that Orthodox Presbyterians need to zero in on. So before we leave it, in that same passage, he says, together with the overseers and deacons. Orthodox Presbyterians seem to think that elders and deacons, they walk about four feet off the ground. And those dear men are out of our reach. And in fact, church plants struggle. Church plants often struggle saying, well, hey, 
we can't have elders and deacons until they've got a master's degree in theology and they've got 36 years of life experience in the local church. And church plants, brothers and sisters, often struggle by calling their first elders. We don't have our first elders yet. But Paul includes the overseers and the deacons as those who are in Christ, saints, not super saints. And many a church plant will struggle and struggle and struggle because they're not willing to say, Lord, you're raising up men in our midst. We're recognizing their gifts. Are they like that church six miles down the road, 16 miles down the road, or upstate in North Texas? No. They're growing, they're maturing, and they're men. They're appointed to the task. We recognize their gifts and they're ours. Now, does the Bible qualify by traits and qualifications concerning officers? Absolutely. In our, in our circles, we have a tendency. We have a tendency to be looking for perfection. And they are brothers. They are brothers that, um, that are ordinary. They're not super saints. They're saints. And we recognize their gifts. They have a character that we say we want to follow. And we say, Lord, you've appointed them for us. And we elect them to office. One day, God willing. One day, right? One day, God willing. We have elders and deacons here at Good Shepherd Church. Again, saints, not super saints. Let's go on to, to our second lesson here. There's a priority now. Why does God deploy servants? Why does he deploy servants? Because there's a priority about growth and character. And that's chapter two. That's where we pick up now lessons about Timothy. So run your eyes down to verse 19 there at chapter two. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. So, so that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. They all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. We'll read a bit more about Epaphroditus in just a second, but take Timothy here. Paul opens this, 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 um, this part of the letter uh, rehearsing some missionary travel material. That's what it's like. He's a missionary. We're getting a letter here from him almost. He's rehearsing how Timothy's been a servant with him. He's going to rehearse in a moment about how Epaphroditus, who's from Philippi, has been a servant with him as well. But note the accent here. That's what's going on. The accent on pursuing growth and character, pursuing growth in holiness. Why does God deploy gifts in the body of Christ? To shape us more, to be like the Lord Jesus. Paul opens up by saying, verse 22, you know his proven worth. That's character. Verse 20, look at it. He's genuinely concerned for others. He's concerned for others. And then Paul even goes further, and their welfare. That's to say, he's acting on the concern for them. Look at verse 21. Others seek their own interests. He seeks the interests of Christ. He seeks the interests of Christ. Good Shepherd family here this morning, if we want to see character in the life of the local church here, it means that we will stop 
and we will ask one another, what is the Lord Jesus teaching you these days? We will ask each other, what is Christ doing to give you more faith and repentance in your life these days? These are the interests of Christ. What is he doing by bringing a particular scripture that's maybe stirring the promises of God for you? How's that promise being applied in your life these days? We will stop and we will ask one another, where are you worried? Where are you living in some fear of man? Uh, where are you looking at your, uh, to yourself for your own help and strength? Timothy is concerned for others. And the Bible tells us here, he seeks the interests of Christ Jesus. It's not, it's not sufficient. It's not, it's not adequate to merely be kind and, and, in this regard, friendly with each other. The Proverbs tell us iron will sharpen iron. And that's the blessing of being in the church. We care for each other. Timothy is concerned for others. Jesus came to be pointed about our sin. That's exactly why he came. He came to be pointed about our sin. He came to confront us. He came to call us to faith in him, not ourselves. Repentance toward him. He came that indeed we might follow him. Good shepherd, we should expect character training. We should expect that in one another's trials, in one another's trials, these will be places for training for all of us. We should expect that God will raise up servants to draw us into a character, life-shaping season. <laughs> we should expect as a new church, there are going to be new people, new people who will come and worship here. New life experience, new gifts, God's appointed service. Those servants coming in to serve will be, a, will be deployed, why? To make us increase in conformity after Christ. Now, Paul will say here, and this is, what, uh, this, this is that proportion that Paul brings to this. He served as a son to a father when he was serving with Paul. So you see that family context remains. We go to each other brother to brother. We go to each other sister to sister. You know, brothers to sisters, sisters to brothers, okay? Fathers in the faith to sons in the faith. Mothers in the faith to daughters in the faith. But why? Because Christ is building his church. And the interest of Christ Jesus is character training to be that much more of a faithful witness in godliness and holiness uh, in this season. Let's go to Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus is mentioned as well. Here's another one deployed into service. Why? The priority of cultivating character. Look at verse 25. I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, 
and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard, uh, because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more, I'm all the more eager to send him, therefore, uh, that, you may, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious, and so receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ. There's a number of things we could, we could tackle here, but I only want to point out the titles. Let's look at the titles that are given to him. Verse 25, five different titles. And they all accent character. He is called a brother. Again, verse 25, Epaphroditus, my brother. He has family resemblance. He's a brother in the Lord. He's also called a fellow worker. What does that mean? He's devoted to pitch in. He's devoted to, to, to grab an oar, right? We say that. Grab an oar, buddy. Grab an oar. He's devoted to grab an oar. He's, he's devoted to rolling up his sleeves. He's a fellow worker. He's a soldier. That's talking about faithfulness, loyalty, dependability. He's a soldier. The next title, he's a messenger. That word there is, he's a sent one. Sent one with the message. What does that mean? He's a bringer of the word. He opens the word to bring encouragement. He opens the word to bring guidance. Then the last one, he's a minister. And that's a very interesting word in the original. It's, it's a word associated with worship. His offering of his service to the Lord God of heaven and earth, to the Apostle Paul, and now with the Philippians themselves, his offering of service is like that aroma of worship. Lord, I'm, I'm not serving her. I'm not serving, I'm serving you. I remember one time when I was pastoring one of our churches up in Maryland, uh, one of our elders was in a meeting and I simply turned to the elder and I said, so-and-so, I said, I, I just want to thank you for last week's service. He said, Mark, that's okay. You don't need to thank me. I'm not serving you. I'm serving the Lord. <laughs> you know, at first, it kind of, that was a dagger because I, you know, I, I thought, I'm thanking this gentleman. He says, Mark, I'm not serving you. I'm serving the Lord. That's right on. That's it, right? He, he's offering his life to the Lord as he serves the church. In that sense, he's saying, Lord, I'm here as your worshiper. I worship you, Lord, in my offering of service to care for God's people. Okay, so you see the emphases here then. All these, it's all this matter of the qualities and godliness and character and growth. Epaphroditus is devoted in godliness and he's devoted in serving the church. Now, a passage like this inescapably takes us to the Lord Jesus Christ. We began there. He said, I came not to be served. I came to serve. And with Christ Jesus being that one who is the perfect sacrifice for sins, Paul will tell us in Philippians, he humbled himself to the point of death 
And then Paul has that comma, even death on the cross. A servant. He gave of himself unto his Father to serve others. And this is why we always need the gospel. The gospel in Jesus should, should invigorate us, be that incentive, be that encouragement, be our hope, be our expectancy. Lord, you will use the body. You will use these gifts. You will use men and women and boys and girls in our midst. You will use us together, children ministering to adults. You will use us, Lord, because you're building your church. What will you do this week? He calls us ordinary, ordinary saints set apart in Christ Jesus. And he says, be deployed that in the body of Christ you might minister to one another, serving, serving to lift up Christ's name. Let's pray. Oh, Father, would you take the, the matter of our prayers and expectancies and what we anticipate, Lord, that we would know that you are with us. You're building your church. You're guiding us in your Son, that for his glory and honor, indeed, he first loved us. Help us, we ask, to go and serve, to go and love, to be about prayer, to minister and to lift up others, Lord. What a privilege it is to serve you this way. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.